0: We are so excited that you are here today. Thanks for being here at the crossing and just having a full house um, as people are coming back. Either you didn't have vacation plans or the air conditioning is good in here. And so either way, we're so glad that you're here today. We want to welcome those of you that are watching us online. We have hundreds every, every week that um, watch the service from the comfort of wherever they are. And so we're so glad that you are with us. And as you saw in the video, my Giants are having a very bad, dismal year. And the Dodgers are having a great year, which makes me really... sad, Um, you know, and I know some of you, you don't like baseball, you like soccer, you like ties, and that's okay, Um, you know who you are, but um, the intellectual deep thinkers enjoy baseball, and so you know who you are as well. Um, it's complex, but it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, and, you know, when you think about summer, you not only think about heat, but you think about things like, you know, baseball, the beach, vacation. And you also think about movies. Because during the summer is when Hollywood rolls out all the blockbusters. And they're, they're usually not very deep, but they're fun, right? They're summer movies, and they always seem to involve, like, heroes and action heroes. And we've had a bunch of them. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen Wonder Woman all right? Some of you have seen Wonder Woman. I, I saw it. I'm a fan. It was great. New franchise. But if you're not into Wonder Woman, just a few weeks ago we had Spider-Man, right? And who doesn't like Peter Parker? We have a new one. There's like been five of them. And so, um, you know, I, I, we love the story of Peter Parker because he's kind of normal, right? He's ordinary, but then he discovers this thing about himself. Maybe some of you are old school. You're like Batman people, right? That's you. Some of you reach way back like Adam West, right? Or like Michael Keaton. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? But the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Returns. and We all love these stories because there's a beauty in the battle, you know, and, and going after something that seems bigger than themselves. But maybe all these guys none of you can relate to. Maybe it's this guy that really is somebody that you guys um, see... Don't mock, Rotten Tomatoes says Captain Underpants is an amazing film. And so all of you with small kids have seen it and you're nodding at me right now. You're like, it was amazing. But the deal is maybe being a hero is not what we think it is. Maybe being a hero is not so much about super hero powers. Maybe it's something much more accessible than that. You know, like most of us don't feel like heroes, probably. Very few of you woke up this morning and thought, the first thought, yep, today I'm going to do something heroic, right? I'm just going to wait for it to happen. That's not usually how it works. So here's how I want to define a hero. It's very simple for the next few moments. Here's It's someone ordinary who God uses in an extraordinary way. Let me say that again someone ordinary who God uses in an extraordinary way. I'm listening to Bob and and over the last few weeks with all of our Choose One, Change One partners and Project 150 and all that stuff that you guys have been engaging in. As I've been watching these guys and their organizations every week, I think hero, 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 right? Because all this is is a bunch of ordinary people who decided to do something extraordinary and God is using them in our community. And I hope you will leave here in a few moments knowing this. This is really Important because I know how you may feel about yourself that the most unlikely people make the most likely heroes. So if you're sitting there right now and you're saying, That's unlikely, I'm talking to you. The most unlikely people make the most likely heroes. All right? Now I promise we're going to get into the heart of the sermon in just a moment, but I got one more thing I got to talk to you about. I want to start with the question that needs to be answered. You need to think about it, and it's a question we should be asking more often. But we don't ask it because our lives are hectic and crazy and we're going after it. So you're, you're sitting here. you got nothing else to do for the next few minutes. So I want you to ponder this question that you don't think about enough but probably should. It's simply this. What kind of person do you want to be? All right. What kind of person do you want to be? And think about this question like when when your friends or your coworkers are there in the office and you leave early and you drive away and they they're still there and they talk about you, which they do. All right. What kind of person they say are right, if you're you're at the soccer fields. Right. And you pick up your chair and you fold it up and, and you get in your car and you leave and the other soccer parents are there. What do they say when they talk about you? Because, you know, they do. Or when you go on a family vacation or family holiday and you go to a relative's house and you stay there for a few days and the last day you pack up the car and they stand in the driveway and they wave and they go inside and drink coffee and they talk about you, right? What do they say? What do you want them to say? What kind of person do you actually want to be? And I might suggest this. What if, in answering this question, you decided to be an extraordinary person? An extraordinary person. Now, if you're a Christian, and many of you are in this room, some of you, you're still on that journey, you're trying to figure it out. And so even if you're not a believer yet today, the question still is an important one. But especially if you're a follower of Christ, you have to consider this, because as a follower of Christ, it starts to get personal. Because when we follow him, we are crazy enough to believe that God actually has a purpose for our lives. That he knows us by name. That he cares so much about us that he sent his son into this world to pay for our sins. Which means that God actually has and is interested in having a relationship with us. And so because of that, as followers of Christ, we believe that what happens in our lives is actually leading somewhere and is meaningful. And so every day as a follower of Christ, we have to be asking this question. Knowing how ordinary people parent, how ordinary people respond to finances and money, how ordinary people react to temptation, how do ordinary people act. But as a follower of Christ, we have to ask, what would an extraordinary version of me do? What would that actually look like? Because that would be heroic. And there are no capes or spider webs involved or underpants. And this tension has actually been present over the last few weeks through this entire summer series. Each week we've been unpacking the giants of the faith in this Running with the Giants series. And we've actually been witnessing and experiencing someone each week who has chosen or has been chosen to live in an extraordinary fashion. I mean, we talked about Abraham. We talked about Jacob and Moses and Noah. And now today, I want us to focus our attention on a guy named Gideon. Because Gideon, like so many of us, believed in God, yet he had become... An ordinary version of the extraordinary person that God intended it to be. And we find a story in Judges, the book of Judges, Old Testament. We're going to be focusing in Judges chapter six. And it's a fascinating story. It's so fascinating and it's so complex. We can't even begin to cover it today. I'm only going to do an itty bitty part at the very beginning. I'm going to trust you to crank the air conditioning down in your house, sit inside today and read the next few chapters and see how this story concludes. But What we're going to read about today is when God shows up and shakes up Gideon's world. And it really is kind of God showing up and confronting him and saying, you know, in a way, what are you doing? Why have you become so ordinary? How did you forget that the Spirit of God rests on you and on these people? And when we arrive at the very beginning of this story... Everything is a mess, all right? Here's how the story begins. In verse 1, it says this, Judges chapter 6. It says the Israelites, the nation of Israel, did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for 7 years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And because the power of the Midianites was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves. They 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 hid all right? And they hid in mountain clefts and caves and strongholds, wherever they could find to stay away from the Midianites. Whenever, because whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. So they'd plant, the crops would begin to grow, so they could have sustenance and they could eat. And about the time they're going to harvest it, all these enemies would show up and they, ca- they camp out on the land and they ruin the crops. All the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. And so when that happened, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now listen. Let me give you a little backstory. Remember the Israelites under Moses, they went in up next to the promised land, then they entered the promised land, and Joshua led them, and they had victories, and they did all of that. Well, here was the plan. When they got to the land, they were supposed to actually just be led by God, right? It was supposed to be a nation led by God's laws and not by a king. And the law would be implemented through a series of leaders that we call judges. And the reason this was is because the nation of Israel was created by God to be extraordinary and not ordinary. They were supposed to be different. They were supposed to be so unique that all the nations around them, like the Midianites and the Amalekites, would look at them and go, man, they have it going on. Like, what is different and special about them? The nation was intended by God to be extraordinary, and they were supposed to reflect the glory of God and be a light to the rest of the world. The rest of the world was supposed to look at them, and that was the point was they would... They would say, we want to know about their God. They were supposed to be an example of a relationship with the God. That was the plan. In some ways, they were to be heroic. But when they got to the promised land, they did exactly what a lot of us would do. Instead of looking up, they started looking around. And they noticed other things. And they thought, hmm, I want some of that. That looks interesting. We want to do that. And even though God tried to convince them otherwise, they wouldn't have it. And so, then they just started building idols to other gods. They started mimicking the ordinary nations that they saw around them. And because of this, the nation of Israel, if you read the entire book of Judges, they go through this cycle, cycle after cycle. The cycle looks basically like this. They're disobedient. They disobey God. God punishes them like a good father would do. There are consequences for their disobedience and then when they get punished they cry out to dad to save them and so dad swoops in and delivers them over and over again this would happen and that's where we are right now Israel disobeyed God so God lets the Midianites come in and for seven years they oppress them and finally Israel stops worshiping the gods of the Midianites and they're calling out everybody in the nation has God on the phone right it's like if you're a dad right your your kid calls you like dad I did exactly what you told me not to do. And I'm in trouble. And if you're the dad on the other end of the line, you usually go, yep, you did. And yep, I'll try to help you out. And when the nation rebelled against God and the nation turned back to God and repented, guess what God did? God would turn back to the nation. That's the mercy of God. There are consequences for their disobedience that they... They experience in the disaster, but then when they cry out to God, he delivers them. That's the mercy of God at work, and many of us have experienced that in our own lives. If we were to tell the story of our own lives, we would tell a story that would probably include some of that. Like, man, I got away from God, and then I turned back to God, and guess what? God was looking right at me, and he was waiting right there for me. And this is over and over again in the book of Judges, and this is where we meet Gideon. Gideon is one of the ju- these judges that God used, and we're going to tell just a bit of his story today. So in verse 11, it says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, not Oprah, right? <laughs> Ophrah, sat down under this oak that belonged to Joash the Abezerite. Where his son Gideon, we're introduced to Gideon, was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. All right? I don't know how many of you have threshed wheat lately, so let me bring you up to speed. Generally, what happens is you take the wheat that's been harvested and you throw it up into the air. This is old school. And the wind that's present, because you're outside, you're in the open, will blow. The light stuff, the chaff, the stuff that you don't want to use. And the good part of the wheat will fall to the ground. And then that's what will be used for sustenance and to eat and to do all those things. But normally, you don't do that in a wine press. Because in a wine press, you're somewhere that's secluded where there's no wind, there's no breeze. So you can just picture Gideon throwing up the stuff, right? Right? It's not working out, right? But he's so afraid of the Midianites that he's down in a hole or he's down in some deep valley or he's in a barn, but he's somewhere where he's not outside because he is so afraid that the Midianites will show up and steal the wheat. And in the middle of that, the angel of the Lord appears to him. And here's what the angel of the Lord says to him, right? Again, you got the picture, right? He's throwing the wheat up in the air. Nothing's happening. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said this, the Lord is with you, you loser. No, says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's response is probably, stop it, right? (laughs) I'm hiding here. I look ridiculous because I'm afraid. And some of you, you understand what it is to be in the wine press. Because this is where you are. You've lost sight of who you are. You've lost sight of what God maybe today wants to do in your life. You've forgotten the God of your childhood. You've forgotten about the answered prayers that God brought. You've forgotten the times that God was there. Maybe you've moved to some important place. Like, you matter now. You're important. You're an important dude or important gal. And you are so important now that God has become unimportant in your life. And then God shows up in the middle of that and says, Hey, you're a mighty warrior. And you're like, Did you know where I was last night, God? Have you been paying attention to my life? Do you know how long it's been since I prayed? Do you know how long it's been since I've actually read Scripture? Do you know how far I've drifted from you? And so Gideon feels that way. And he responds, but Gideon's polite. He says it this way. Pardon me. (laughs) Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. And this is where he diverts. So he doesn't want to deal with the mighty warrior thing. He has questions for God. He says, but if the Lord is with us... Why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Gideon's asking the question that we've asked. Gideon saying, God... If you're so great, why are things so bad? God, if you are for me, why is the world so against me? Why am I alone? Why does my boss seem out to get me? Why can't we have kids? Why, 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 why? If you ever ask that question of a version of it, Gideon asked the same one over 3,000 years ago, and guess what? God was not offended. It's often that kind of question that begins to lead us back into relationship with God. Gideon goes on to say, listen, not only... We don't know if you're great, but now it feels like you've abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So I'm not a mighty warrior. And God, I'm not really ready to do anything. It's not working out. I'm not even sure I believed all that stuff they told us about Egypt and the promised land and all of that. I don't even, I don't even want to hear those stories anymore. You want to deliver a nation? Why are you bothering me? And God responds this way. He turned to him. said are you finished he said go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands and then this question read it with me am I not sending you and this is the part where we would think Gideon would throw down his stuff and put his cape on and his superhero outfit right and he would say well if you're in it God then I'm in But this isn't a superhero movie. It's real life. And so God's answered those questions. But Gideon has another issue. He says again, politely, (laughs) pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. In other words, I am the weakest link. I'm not from a famous tribe, Manasseh. And in that tribe that's not famous, I'm in the weakest clan. And in that weakest clan, I am the runt of the litter in my family. Translated, you might say it this way. God, I'm not wired or destined to do anything. I barely went to junior college. I dropped out. I didn't really do all that well. I don't have any money. I'm barely middle class. I don't know anybody. I don't have any influence. I haven't really figured out Twitter. I just got a Facebook account a few weeks ago. I only have four friends. They're all my family And you think I'm a mighty warrior and I'm supposed to save a nation? And the Lord answered, never mind, I got the wrong guy. I'm sorry. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Gideon, do you feel like a warrior? No, you are. I'm not. You are. Nope. Yes, you are. And who are you going to believe, you or God? But what, guys, what if we spend our entire lives doing what everyone else does? Dating the way everybody else does, spending your money the way they do, making the decisions the way they do, dreaming as little and as small as most do. It would be so ordinary. But what if for just 30 seconds, God could do a miracle? And just for that brief amount of time, He could open up our eyes to see ourselves the way that He sees us. How different would our lives be? That's why I believe it would matter if just for those 30 seconds, because whenever I hear stories or we together hear stories of life change, maybe it's through a conversation or we watch a video on the screen or or someone's getting baptized or somebody sends me an email Part of their life change is always that moment where the person's eyes literally seem to come open. Their their soul opens up and they realize that God sees them differently and that God knows their name. And he loves them personally and he has a personal plan for them. And he wants them to be an extraordinary version of themselves because they are rightly connected with God. In this moment that Gideon is having with the angel of the Lord, God is saying, I want you to see you the way I see you. Because if you do, you would step out of this wine press and you would, do, you would do something significant, heroic, and extraordinary in this world. And then here's the kicker, God says. The Lord answered, don't forget, I will be with you. I will be with you. So the question for you, Mom... The question for you dad, for you business owner, for you student, the question God is asking is, will you be with me? Because I'm with you. I'm with you, but I'm wondering where you are. I'm with you, and I've always been with you, and I'm willing to do something extraordinary through you, but the question is, are you with me? And that's why this series is so important, because we have this thing that God gives us called free will, called freedom. We have the freedom to do whatever we want to do. You can listen to this. You can come here every week, and you can respond to God or not respond to God. We don't have to be giants. We don't have to. We can just be normal and ordinary and whatever. We don't have to do anything. But this is the defining moment of Gideon's life, and perhaps it's a significant one for you. Because God says to Gideon, before I give you all the instructions, before I actually tell you the way that together we are going to do this, would you simply live like a man who is confident that God is with you? And that's what God is asking you, and he's asking me. And the decision for most of us is going to depend on one simple, powerful word. And here it is courage courage now when i think about courage i think about two 11 year old kids right 11 year old boys the first one's me when i was 11 my parents had one of those doughboy pools anybody right we, were, we didn't have enough money to have like a real pool so we had a doughboy, right and in the winter it would get green with algae things would grow in there right After a couple years, my dad thought it'd be really cool, so he brought the backhoe from work, and he dug a huge hole, and he stuck the doughboy down into the ground. So now we had a built-in pool that was a doughboy. And somewhere in Arizona, that pool is now folded in and covered up with landscaping, but it existed. And we had a pool when I was 11 years old, but one of the things I was most embarrassed about in my life is I was terrified of water. I never learned to swim. And when you're 11, it's not cool, right? So my dad, trying to help me, got this big black tire inner tube, not like one you would buy at the store, but like one you would actually take out of a vehicle. And he inflated it and he threw it out there and I would hang on to that thing With my body inside. And I had two older sisters, they would torture me all summer. They'd swim underwater and they'd pull my legs out from under me and I'd have that moment of terror and I'd grab back on. I mean, try playing Marco Polo in one of those tubes. I mean, it just, Marco Polo, you're, you're it. Like it, You just can't even move or navigate. And when the cute girls from the neighborhood would come around, it was just, there was a non-starter. Like, it's hard to be attractive while you're holding on to your tube, you know? It took me years to learn how to swim. I'm still not a great swimmer. If we're, like, in a boat and it's going down, like, save yourself because I'm, I'm dying. All right? It's over. All right? So I never had the courage. It took me years to get the courage to let go of that tube because that tube was comfortable. And after a while, even as embarrassing as it was, man, I would grip onto that thing. and I got good at navigating with that tube. The other 11 year olds my son. In 2010, we were on vacation, and we went to California to a water park. I still remember, man. It was cool. We checked in. We got the, the, the wristband like wet and wild, and we got there, and we set up our spot. And I looked around, and he was gone, man. Like, just, I just watched him go. And he's going up the stairs to this huge, steep slide, like Der Stuka. Any of you guys remember? what? I mean, it was just the steepest one. And my first reaction as a dad was to go and say, hey, hey, wait a minute, right? Let's go in the lazy river with my tube like uh, I'm good right it's like this deep but he's up there and I'm watching him and he goes all the way up and he's climbing up and he's following he's waiting in line I keep thinking that he's gonna bail right because you got to wait in those lines and he's watching people and I mean he's a little dude he's a little dude and he gets to the top, and he's having a conversation with the lifeguard. I know the lifeguard's saying like, you sure you want to do this, right? And I'm watching. Sure enough, he just lays down, man. Small kid, and just like a torpedo, he comes down that thing, right? And it rips, almost rips his swim trunks right off of his body. And he gets to the bottom, and I'm standing there, and he stands up and like does this, like I'm the man, right? And this kid's conservative, still is today. And I was like, dude, you're the man. That took courage. And later in the day, we went to one of those little booths where they had the temporary, like little Cracker Jack tattoos. Right? And he gets this tattoo and he points at it and he says, I want that one. And it's a Chinese character that means courage, courage, right? And still today he wears this band all the time that says courage that he got. And it means something. And I think two 11-year-olds, one holding on to an inner tube for dear life and one going at light speed, Right? And who am I and who are you? And where is the courage that we need to have to live in a significant way? Because as believers, C.S. Lewis describes courage as one of the biggest overlooked virtues in the Christian faith. Just having courage. And know this, you got to be warned. Some of you are checking out faith. Here's what you need to know, that this is the truth. The closer you walk to God, the more courage will be required. Okay. Some of you are living among the Midianites right? And the closer you walk to God, the more courage that will be required. It would be simpler for you to just stay in the wine press, right, and keep doing this. And here's why this is so relevant. Because 1,300 years after this story of Gideon, there was another guy named Paul who wrote to Christians in a city called Rome that were being persecuted by a dude named Nero who was brutal. and He was killing Christians everywhere. And to that group, Paul wrote the following words. He said this, If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're being persecuted, if God is for you, remember the story of Gideon, who can be against us? It's the same thing he said. He said, I know you don't think you're a warrior. I know things aren't going well. I know you're hiding, but I see things differently. And if you'll step into the way I see you and step into the way of how you've been viewing yourself, step away from that. We can do some things extraordinary. And 1,300 years later, Paul's saying to these Christians in Rome who are following this guy, Jesus, the same exact thing. That God is with you and me. If God is for us, who can be against us? So why wouldn't we wake up every day and ask the question, with courage, what would an extraordinary person who is me do when they know they have that kind of relationship with God? And at this point, Paul jumps ahead, because I know what Paul's the man, right? So he's saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? But then he knows that they're going to read that, and they're going to think, well, a lot of things, right? Things are bad. People are dying. How can we know that God is for us? And Paul knew they would ask that question, and so he answered it. He said, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Paul says, you want to know how valuable you are to God and how you can wake up every day knowing God is with you? It's not by looking around at the Midianites. It's not by looking around at the culture. You can wake up every day with confidence because 2,000 years ago, he allowed his son to pay the price for your sin. And Paul's saying you are so valuable to God as an individual that the Spirit of God is in you, and he is for you, and he is on you. Now wake up every day and live with that kind of value. So the question is, hello, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do? This story of Gideon is a fantastic narrative about a man who was scared to death, But when you read the rest of the story, he stepped up into his calling of God with courage and ended up delivering a nation. When you read the story, he has courage, but it's slow. Like everywhere along the way, he's just like us. Everywhere along the way, it's like he looks over his shoulder and kind of goes, God, are you still there? He keeps checking back and making sure that God's still there. And every time, God is still there. Stephen Furtick says this. He says, it's dangerous to think more highly of yourself than you ought it is equally dangerous to think less of yourself than God does. So what kind of person you want to be? What if you decided to be an extraordinary person? And I don't mean extraordinary at something. You may, be that. you may be that. We all know people who are extraordinary at something. They can make money, sell stuff, shoot a ball, hit a ball, throw a ball, sing a tune. We all know people who are extraordinary at something, but we would not always say they are extraordinary people. They have a skill, but you may not be around them, want to be around them or near them. But what if we decided, what if you decided you're going to have courage to be extraordinary? You're going to be an extraordinary employee. You're going to be an extraordinary boss. You're going to be an extraordinary husband. Your husband would go to work and tell everybody, my wife is so awesome, What if you decided whatever role you had in life, you would approach it with the hope of being extraordinary? You could do that. Young person in the room, high school student, you could do that. What if instead of being a pain, you were an extraordinary son or an extraordinary daughter? Because God was with you. And listen, I know some of you think this is silly. I get it. You think this is stupid. But hold on a minute. Think about this. All right. Think about this question. What would it be like to be extraordinary? And think about it in this context. What if your son or your daughter or your best friend or your employees are listening to this right now? What if they're listening and hearing this right now? And what if you ran into them today? Maybe you're in the lobby or or this week. What are the chances that you would say, you know that whole courage to be extraordinary thing that Lee was talking about? Just ignore that. Don't do that. Right? What if your boss was here? You know they're here and you walk up to them tomorrow morning and you say, listen, don't worry about it. Don't get all extraordinary on me. That's crazy. Don't do that. Or you, walk, or you go up to your kids after the service and you say, hey, son, don't go getting all extraordinary. I didn't raise you that way. Do that. Of course not. Of course you wouldn't. Because as silly or as stupid as it may sound, you would want that all around you. You would. You would want it. So what would happen if a church like this, with hundreds and thousands of people, what if we actually believed the Bible enough so that every day you would wake up at whatever time your alarm awakened you and you would pause for just a moment and you would have this thought, what would an extraordinary person do with today knowing that God is in them, with them, and for them, with courage, knowing this, that courage is not the absence of fear, it is the confidence of the presence of God. He's for you, He's in you, He's with you. You're like, that's scary. Absolutely. It's frightening. It totally is. It's intimidating. Yes, the Midianites are intimidating. Being extraordinary is a scary, scary thing, but courage is not the absence of fear, it is confidence in the presence of God. That's the destiny Israel was invited into. That is what Gideon was being invited into. This is the life that you've been invited to, and if you have the courage to make this a habit of your life, I, will be, I believe, I believe this, that you will become the extraordinary you that your heavenly Father designed you and called you to be. And if you could do that, That would truly be a heroic life. No capes required, right? Let's pray together. Let's do that. Wherever you are, just bow your heads with me for just a moment. God, in this room, we have people of all ages, backgrounds, journeys, spiritual journeys. We have some, God, that have been followers of you for years and decades, some that are just checking it out. They're not even sure where they are with you. But God, I pray that today we would begin to ask the question, what kind of person do we want to be? And is it possible that you would be calling us to live in an extraordinarily way? God, I pray that where we need to ponder that, we would do that right now. That we wouldn't just say, that's silly. But that God, we would maybe today start a habit that changes the way we make decisions, the way we act the way we talk, the way we go forward, in a way that would reflect our deep connection with you because you're in us, you're for us. God, I pray where we're fearful that you would give us courage beyond our own ability, but God, in the midst of the fear that we would have the courage to know you're with us. God, even as we receive communion now, I pray that we would do it in humility. God, and in awe of you that you found us so valuable that you would send your son to die for us so that we could have everlasting life and that we could live an extraordinary life. Help us to remember that even now in this moment as we receive it together. We ask in your name. Amen.